Internet marketing for smart people. Radio, weekly tips for building and marketing your profitable business online. From copyblogger.com. Hello to every single person out there in internet land smart enough to listen to this show. I'm Robert Bruce with the CEO of Copyblogger Media, Brian Clark, and the chief marketing officer of Copyblogger Media, Sonia Simone. Brian, how's the week so far? Uh, Not too bad, I guess. Thing has failed catastrophically. Sonia, what's going on over there? Pretty awesome, but I would like to change my title to chief shopping officer. Chief shopping. Yeah, you were working on something a little earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. Not enough shopping. Did you find it? Too much marketing in this gig. Not enough shopping. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know about that. (laughs) You're not going to approve that one? No, we may have to talk about that. That's something we can work out. (laughs) Um, It's 63 degrees and cloudy over here where I am. I just wanted both of you to know. Sonia, you're probably not going to be jealous of that, but but Brian might be um, weather-wise. 75. And... uh, 75. Okay, so let's get right into some news and opinion on what's flying around the internet regarding internet marketing uh, lately. And specifically, I think this last week or two, Bridein Parnell from The Register wrote up a, um, a post, an article about Facebook deleting pages, um, destroying years of work, and in some cases, costing the owners of those pages uh, quite a bit of money. Yeah, this was a a story that in some ways should not take anybody by surprise, and yet the the level of stupidity does kind of give you pause. Um, even if you're not necessarily Facebook's biggest fan in the entire world, you still sort of like to think that they're getting it a little bit better than this, which is that if someone fishes your password or you have perhaps an employee who's not doing what they ought to do, and they have admin status to your page, they've either you know, tricked you into giving them the information or in some other way they have admin status to the page, they can delete you, the page creator, as admin, and then you've got no way to get back on there. You've got no way, if if the person is malicious, you have no way to stop them from, you know, putting up any kind of inappropriate material, from deleting all of your users, from, from all the rest of it, from sending out wacky things to your customers. And really the only option left is to nuke the page. And so people are losing these pages that have months and in some cases years of work put into them where people have, you know, painstakingly built up, you know, lots and lots of, of um, what are they now, fans or followers or friends whatever. or whatever it even, is. Yeah. The part that's a little hard to swallow is that Facebook's help page says that if you're the admin, you can't ever get if you're the page creator, you can't ever get kicked off. That's not true. You basically don't have any recourse. Um, assuming you're not, you know, I'm guessing if this happens to the Coca-Cola page, there's recourse. But if you are a normal person, there's not any recourse. Facebook says, sorry, nothing we can do. Cannot reinstate the creator of the page and your your SOL. Okay, so if you're over there on Facebook, I mean, this is there, there's two parts to this. The first part that you're getting at, obviously, is security. We're talking about passwords. We're talking about, well, even maybe on a more uh, basic level, who you're going to let admin your page. But this is just basic common sense with passwords and security, right? It is, although how many of us have a virtual assistant who's doing the admin on our Facebook page? You know, that person gets hacked off for some reason, and 
off and away they go. Or your virtual assistant might be a wonderful saintly human being who gets fished. Somebody gets hold of his password and all of a sudden they're in your page doing bad things. And the problem here being that, as you said, uh, there's really no recourse in terms of getting back in there. From the, from the Facebook side, as we can, we can tell from this article, there's no way that Facebook is going to let you back in. Uh, as far as I can read everything, all the examples on this article... Right. As, right now, the only option you have is to report it as, quote-unquote, infringing or violating the rights of your company, and then that, that'll cause the deletion of the page. Now, if Facebook is one of the ways that you bring traffic to your business, it's not fatal. It's extremely irritating, obviously, you know, whoever you are, um, but it's not fatal. But if you're one of these businesses, and there are so many out there, who's using Facebook as the only marketing channel for their business because some consultant told them to or because, you know, it just seems too hard to um, install WordPress. By the way, we know people who can help you out with that. You know, if for whatever reason Facebook is making up 100% of your marketing channel, your Facebook page gets deleted, all of a sudden you have a a business-threatening problem as opposed to a really irritating nuisance that you can go back and, and, you know, and work with again. If Copybloggers' Facebook page got hacked, we would maybe recreate another one and we would, you know, just get on the blog and say, well, some some miscreant um, hacked the page and, and we had to shoot it in the head and go, go come like us again. And it really would not hold us up for very long. It would be very irritating. It would not be, you know, a horrible business-threatening disaster. Business ending event, yeah, yeah, which leads to probably the more serious issue of this digital sharecropping idea, the second part of this story. You know, and it's so easy for those of us who've been doing this for a few years or a decade to look at someone who builds their entire presence on Facebook and call that quite dismissively internet marketing for dumb people, but... (laughs) But as Sonia pointed out, you've got consultants out there selling this bill of goods to a small business person who is not internet savvy. They don't know. They're relying on advice. And these people are giving this advice because they, you know, the extent of their skill set is learning how to set up a Facebook page for someone, right? It's really not the small business person, the mid-sized business even. It's not their, their fault, so that's why, you know, the post that Sonia did just shortly before this article broke and, you know, some things I've been saying over the years that it's, it's just really not smart. It's not an option not to be able to control your own property. Now, like Sonia said, our Facebook page disappeared. It's actually the least important part of our personal model. But for others, yeah, it would be a big pain as a traffic funnel, but it wouldn't kill anyone who's got their own site and have built their audience primarily on the blog itself, the site itself, as opposed to, say, for example, if we lost our Twitter account, it would suck bad. Suck. Yeah. But it wouldn't kill us, you know. We'd we'd get we'd get around it. So you well, gotta have the hub at the middle that is yours, that your domain, your site, your content. You can move it around from host to host. It's not a big deal. And even if we did lose our Twitter account, because 
Twitter points to our blog and not our Twitter account, our Twitter account could go away tomorrow and we would still get tons of Twitter traffic. So it, because everything's pointing to the hub instead of pointing to, look what Mr. Cleverpants said on Twitter, it's not as vulnerable. You know, these things do happen and they suck when they happen and it's really irritating. You spend like a week making it unhappen. But if you have a solid hub and it's well backed up, you are just so protected against a lot of these very annoying glitches and they become nuisances rather than business killers. We talk we talked last season a little bit about this idea of, you know, kind of the stupidity of a lot of companies pointing spending millions of dollars in advertising and on these ads in television and radio saying go to our XYZ Facebook page. Obviously, uh, we are not uh, endorsing that in the least. But what about pointing? We know that pointing to, you know, going where people are, being where people are, be it Facebook, Twitter, other social uh, networking sites, pointing prominently to your Facebook site and your Twitter site, you know, promoting them. Not only promoting them, promoting them prominently. You know, one thing that Derek Halpern has convinced me of, um, Derek of Social Triggers, Hardcore conversion guy. He's been web entrepreneur for a long time. I put him on the path of copywriting and conversion, but he's just run with it in a big way, so props to him. But yeah, yeah he's convinced me that we're going to remove the pointers at Twitter and Facebook from our sidebar um, mm-hmm. because that's the wrong way to send. You're sending traffic away when you're supposed to ha- really be focusing on some sort of action. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't promote your social media networks because they have value, especially with your fans as content distribution networks. So, you know, if you've got fans and they follow you on Twitter and then they start re- retweeting you, that's just making your content spread in a new and valuable way. But what Derek says, and, and this mirrors what I did in the early days to build our Twitter presence because I was on there um, pretty early. So we, we ran Twitter contests that encouraged people to sign up, uh, actually gave away some really cool stuff. You know, we did periodic posts that says, follow us on Twitter because we're, we're giving away, uh, we're pointing you towards other valuable content that's not ours. So the idea is to, yes, promote your presence. We did the same thing with Facebook. We did our South by party and, and, had the invites on Facebook that helped that page kind of get going a little bit, even though it's like the redheaded stepchild of social networks to us. <laughs> but now you've got Google Plus, you know, and, and my Google Plus account is really me. It's not technically copy blogger, but of course, I'm going to use it for the greater good of the company. So guys like Chris Brogan and Robert Scoble are going just balls to the wall, you know, building their. Google Plus audiences because if it takes off like it can and it's tied, obviously, that data of sharing and plus ones and all that is tied to Google search, you can understand the implication it's going to have on SEO, right? So they understand that they're making a very concerted effort and a very direct bet that that will pay off. Now, if it turns out to be the next friend feed and it goes nowhere, well, oh, big deal. You know, a lot of their audience and our audience, to be frank, will be on Google Plus, And we all tend to like it a lot better than Facebook for sure. And it gives us more to 
to do than Twitter. But the point is, you have to decide where your people are and then make a concerted effort to grow that network any way you can. But just sticking a button on your sidebar may not be the smartest way to do it. You need to be more proactive when you do send people away from home base to the network, make sure you understand why you're doing it. And generally, in, with our philosophy, it's to build your content distribution network. Okay, next story. Uh, David Deal over at the superhype, uh, superhypeblog.com wrote a post about last week. It's called The Marketing Genius of Led Zeppelin Four, And this has a lot to do with a lot of what we talk about. Basically, he's talking about uh, Led Zeppelin's fourth album, that they released essentially without a title, without any reference to the band itself, and without any even signifying kind of branding marks that the band had previously used. It was just an odd painting uh, hanging on this tattered wall was the album cover. The idea here is, you know, uh, at least in the headline for this post, is uh, this, this is marketing genius, um, mystery, uh, all of these elements that, that led to the success of that record. Brian, what do you think? Well, I love that article. I actually met the author at Content Marketing World, and uh, he told me about the post, and I'm like, oh, cool, I'd like to read that. So he actually sent it in through the contact form, and support send it, sent it over to me, and I was like, oh, cool. Um, and I really enjoyed it, both as a music geek and a marketing geek, because it's one of those cool intersections. But of course, you have to understand why, in, in that context, it worked. And it's a technique I like to call obscurity marketing. You can see other examples. Like, I don't know if you remember the film Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but they had a billboard campaign that, you know, had these obscure messages about how Sarah broke, you broke my heart, Sarah, blah, blah, blah. And and I remember seeing those going, wow, I wonder what that's about. Nine Inch Nails doing their alternate reality game uh, in promotion of their new album. Really obscure. It started with leaving a USB in a bathroom in Europe and hoping that whoever found it would plug it in their computer and that's how it started. And alternate, you know, alternative reality games are something I've been interested in for years. They've been used as promotional vehicles for such as Audi uh, did a great one, Halo, Halo 2, all of those games. Anyway, so the idea is you start off with a really obscure clue and you somehow leak it out or get it a catalyst started and then the audience works their tail off to solve, you know, to figure things out. And they do it as a collaborative effort. And, and talk about attention and engagement and buzz. I mean, it's amazing when it works, right? Not handing it to the audience on a silver platter. Which there's, is exactly, to be, yeah. yeah, it's exactly the opposite of what you're generally told, which is to be express and be clear and be simple and right. make it easy, Right. And so what Led Zeppelin did with Led Zeppelin 4 is one of the earliest mass market examples of this that I've ever seen, which is they made it into a mystery. Now, why did it work? Well, it worked the same way that the the Nine Inch Nails campaign worked, which is, you know, zigzagged against what people thought would happen, which, as we all know, is another fundamental aspect of Marketing 101. Do the unexpected, do the remarkable, be the purple cow, whatever you want to call it. So the, if you read the article, it's clear that Led Zeppelin 1, 2, and 3, they developed a massive fan following, but the critics were always giving them hell. Basically, you're too commercial, you're not sophisticated, you're all hype, you're all name, you're all, you know, 
you're basically shallow, even though it's like being accused of being the boy band of the 70s, right? (laughs) And they weren't even disco. So they purposefully, you know, created uh, something that was exactly the opposite of what they'd done and waited for someone to pick up that album and figure out it was Led Zeppelin and how fast do you think word spread through that network, right? Mm. So this has a lot of great application with social networks, but not if you're an unknown, right? right? <laughs> if you're already obscure, being obscure will not help you get what you want. Yeah, we, and, and Sonia, we've talked about some uh, dear friends of ours. Uh, we don't have to name names or anything, but who who do not spend as much time maybe on, you know, let's say headlines, for instance, or at least are purposely not being explicit in the writing of their headlines. Uh, but there is a, a catch to that, right? And it's directly applied to this, to what we're talking about, to Wait, Led Zeppelin. You mean Seth Godin and Chris Brogan? <laughs> oh, come on, man. We weren't going to name names. Yeah. Okay, well, this has just become a, like a Hollywood rag, so let's just, you know, <laughs> let's just get it all out. Yeah. Well, actually, I think Seth writes good headlines. They're not as express and specific. He has a talent for it, though. It's, he's like he writes good subheads. But, but Seth has hundreds of thousands of fans who right. know Why? he's, he's going to show up every day no matter how obscure that headline is. And I think to a certain degree, I've talked to Brogan about it, and, you know— uh, you know, I give him a hard time, like the old uh, Lloyd Benson uh, to Dan Quayle thing. You know, I knew JFK and you're not JFK. You know, but Chris is like, he understands and he's cool with it. He's just like, this is my style and I want to speak to the people who, yeah, you know, want to go ahead and, and see what I have to say. Um, so he realizes he's definitely leaving traffic on the table, but he has a large enough audience where it doesn't matter. And also realize he has a huge Twitter following from being probably one of the earliest of early adopters of that network. Yeah, in this case, you know, Seth Godin in this context is Led Zeppelin, right? Which gives him the ability to do that. Seth Godin's headline is Seth Godin's blog with the little bald Seth head. And then all of the post titles are, are subheads. And they're kind of intriguing, but Godin's readership comes back to Godin every day to see what's new. You know, it's part of their daily routine. I wonder what's going on with Seth. Maybe he has a new post up. Maybe he did two today. That would be cool. If you're not there yet with the kind of with the size audience you want, then you're not going to be able to benefit from headlines that look like his headlines. So, and and you know, everyone who admires Seth does, as I said, a shrine to Seth for their first blog. We all think that, you know, well, I should do, I should build my my blog with the same tools he did, or I should use the same kind of headlines he does, or I shouldn't have post images, or I shouldn't have comments because Seth does it. Well, Seth is probably in a different position than you are, and what works for him is not necessarily going to give you the same results because you don't have the same input. A different universe, perhaps. And, you know, if that's what you want to be in your universe and you've got maybe a couple of thousand people and and that's working because you've got a real small, engaged crowd, if it's working, that's awesome. If it's working, keep keep working it. Um, it's just most people who try it are, are annoyed and confused because it's not working the way they want to. And they're asking themselves, well, I modeled this one of the most successful bloggers of all time. How come it's not working for me? This is why. This episode of Internet Marketing for Smart People Radio is brought to you by 
the internet marketing for smart people 20 part free email course that you can sign up for on copyblogger sonia why would anyone bother signing up for this course the way that i put internet marketing for smart people together was kind of the little black dress of marketing this is the stuff that always works this is the stuff that's a good investment of your time because it's going to work today, it's going to work tomorrow, it's going to work next year, it's going to work in five years. And these were the 20 things I wanted every reader of the blog to know. So we may not cover, you know, the material from lesson four of the course every week on the blog. We may not cover the material in lesson 12. If you sign up for the course, you're going to get classic advice that's always appropriate. You're going to find a million ways to use it. That's what I tried to put together with it, and that's what I'm hearing people come back with, what they're getting out of the course. Brian, anything to add? Yeah, I joked around before the show that I was just going to show up and say, yeah, what Sonia said, but yeah, what Sonia said, except, I don't. did anyone say it's free? Because it's totally free. Thank you, Brian. And yes, it is free. All you need to do to sign up to the list is click the link that'll be in the show notes here, prominently displayed, I'm sure. Guys, let's move into the final section of the show today, which is a a lightning round of sorts, a useful tip. And what we wanted to talk about was the magazine rack approach to writing headlines. But to get there, first we need to just talk about why do headlines work? We, we've done a show on that before to a certain degree, and we've written about a thousand posts. But the 10 or 11 best ones um, we've collected under our Magnetic Headline series. And you can grab that on our Copywriting 101 page. You can also go to copyblogger.com slash magnetic dash headlines. Number one, if you do not understand why a certain headline works, you will do what a lot of people do online, which is they, they grab a headline they see somewhere, whether on a sales letter or a swipe file or uh, the latest issue of Cosmo, and they'll try to use it in a context inappropriate way, which means it's not the right structure for what that particular piece of content or uh, sales letter or whatever happens to be. Now, if you understand why headlines work the way they do, and then you see a headline that spark gives you some inspiration, then that's awesome. So first things first, you know, if you haven't studied the magnetic headline series, it's really in depth. It's totally free. It's right out there. No email address required, whatever. Do that first. But then you can be in the line at the grocery store and get, you know, like the greatest headline idea ever, right, Sonia? Yeah, absolutely. Brian wrote a, a post detailing how to do this. His first example was to go to Cosmo magazine. And you can really do this with any popular magazine, but Cosmo's good because they put, I'm pretty sure they put about 10 times as much work into the headlines as they do into the articles. And so the headlines <laughs> are really, really good. And I actually wrote a post for Copyblogger that was almost lifted word for word. Now, usually you have to tweak it, right, for your own topic. But th- I think this is almost word for word from a Cosmo cover, Feel Great Naked, Confidence Boosters for Getting Personal. And it was about a topic which never dies, which is, you know, how much of your personal life do you reveal? And 
and how do you kind of protect yourself from weirdos and freaks on the internet? That is not what the Cosmo article was about, but that is what my post was about. And it was great. It got a ton of attention, and just people wanted to click on that. They just wanted to, you know. It didn't hurt that I put a picture of a mostly naked woman at the top. Yeah, too. that didn't hurt. This was when Sonia first wrote for the blog, and you know, no one really knew who she was. Every time she'd write a post where I had an opportunity, I would put a hot woman <laughs> as a picture. Yeah. And Sonia's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Josh, <laughs> it's working. Just through my posts. What? <laughs> this, was, this was the only post where I was like, oh, my God. Did you have any say at that point, oh, Sonia? No, I mean, no, could no, you no. have just, yeah, no, there right, was no right. Say. No, now I have now I have admin access. I can go. I can <laughs> exactly. Go draw it's harder to get out. It's yeah. harder for me to sneak things by her, you know, <laughs> except for the time zone difference. But she wakes up and she's like, "Oh, you're in trouble." <laughs> <laughs> so this this magazine rack thing, the grocery store thing, you're you're standing there in line waiting to to check out. You're looking at these headlines. I mean, these are companies and publications with heavy duty costs, right? And you could argue probably that, well, it's the content. It's a sensational content of the nature of whatever they are. I'm sure in some cases that's true. But these are headlines that have kept real companies with real employees and real costs in business for decades in some cases, right? I mean, this is no joke. Oh, they pay these writers well. And that's because the collection of headlines on a magazine cover literally sells the magazine, Uh, whether... You pick it up and leaf through to, you know, how to bedazzle your man in bed, part 72 on Cosmo, you know, and, and then see a, a snippet of it and go, oh, yeah, I got to have that. Or if you just immediately drop it in your shopping cart, that's the idea. That's what sells magazines, period. And that's what sells your content. Right. It is the promise to an incredibly frazzled and attention depleted person about whether or not they're going to spend three to five minutes with you or not today. Yeah, so pulling up, now you can do this at magazines.com. It's really awesome. You can go and you can get any magazine, virtually any magazine that's widely distributed in the U.S., and you can pull up all their old covers. So looking at Cosmopolitan Magazine for whatever month we're in, September, the art to this is to recast the completely off-topic headlining your own topic. So I don't want you guys running blog posts that say what your VJJ is dying to tell you because <laughs> I really don't want to know I can't believe that. you just said that. I love it. I know. <laughs> um, Oprah. But you can make things, you know, in, in, the, in the Cosmo sense, I usually make them much more tame. Um, I did a post called um, 50 Things Your Customers Wish You Knew. That was taken from a Cosmo title called 50 Things your guys wish you knew. So think about how you can kind of recast things, you know, including you can do things in in a really boring way. If you've got a personal training blog, you can say what your Achilles tendon is dying to tell you. It may not get as many clicks as for JJ, but you won't gross me out. So that'll be good. No, it's all about being contextually appropriate. I mean, it's the same thing with the Led Zeppelin thing. I mean, will it work for you or won't it? Well, it depends on your audience, but... Going back to the initial point, which is if you understand why a particular headline structure works, then you can determine whether or not you can make it contextually appropriate. And speaking of that that topic, Sonia, I saw on Google Plus today a picture of a book. Uh, It was entitled 
everything men know about women. And then it sh- the next piece was every page was blank. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's just a headline and nothing behind it. <laughs> All right, guys, let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you're glad that we're back and you like listening to the show, the best way to help us out is to get over to iTunes and leave a review over there. There's some good stuff over there already, but we would love to hear from you. Brian, Sonia, I'll see you guys next week. Take care. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Woo!